You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Good morning, Grace City Church. It's good to be with you this morning. I want to start off with a question, and I want you to answer the question in your mind, not out loud. You online as well. Don't just, it's not a rhetorical question. Um, do you consider yourself to be an ambitious person? Do you even want to be an ambitious person? Now, your answer to those two questions might depend on what your experience with ambition has been in your life so far. I grew up in a family that were not followers of Jesus And their philosophy of life was, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Life was all about working to make enough money to eat a lot of food and to drink even more. When I came to faith, I started to think, well, yeah, a a little bit of ambition would be good in life. To want your life to count for something, to have eternal value, to please God. Ambition is a good thing. Within many years later, we moved to Washington, D.C., and I saw for the first time raw, unfiltered, unbridled ambition. What big boy ambition looks like. The ambition to gain more power, prestige, fame, material possessions. Well, that kind of a counter started to get me to reevaluate. Maybe ambition isn't such a good thing to have in the life of a believer. Well, it's interesting to note that in Scripture, there are two kinds of ambition, and the, and the Greek language helps us out because it's two different words if it's good ambition or not so good ambition. When addressing the negative ambition, the word that's used means a desire to put yourself forward. Any work done for gain, especially gain for yourself. This kind of ambition is self-focused. It's ambition that gets you ahead in life. It's ambition that gets you what you want. And it's used four times in the New Testament. And to get across this self-focused element of ambition, it always gets translated in our Bible, selfish ambition. They have to add a word in there to convey what it means. But there's a completely different Greek word for the ambition that's positive It's a word that means to strive or to exert yourself out of a sense of love or a sense of honor. It's found three times in the New Testament, and one of them is in our passage today. Now, this would be a good study to do on your own in your own personal Bible study. Look up the seven times in the New Testament that ambition is used. And learn, what, are, what, are, what can we learn about positive kinds of ambition? And what can we learn about negative kinds of ambition? Today, we're going to be looking at Paul's ambition. It's obviously in the positive sense. 
How did Paul exert himself out of a sense of love for God, for all that God had done for him? But before we look at this ambition in Romans 15, let's express our dependence upon God together and come before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes and our hearts to your word today. Give us insight on how to prioritize our lives around a gospel-centered, gospel-driven ambition so that we can have a life that better glorifies your wonderful name here on earth. Amen. So what was Paul's ambition in Romans 15? We read it in verses 20 and 21. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not yet known so that I would not build on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not yet heard will understand. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. But what did Paul mean by this? What does it mean to preach the gospel where Christ is not yet known? Surely where Paul was at this point, he's in Corinth writing Romans. Surely there's lost people in Corinth. Why would Paul want to go somewhere else when there's still lost people right where he's located. Now there's another perplexing and confusing statement made by Paul. I don't know if you noticed it when Tim was reading. It was in verse 19. Paul says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Now if you don't know where Illyricum is, that's modern day Albania. From Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. How could he say that he fully proclaimed the gospel from Israel all the way to Albania? That includes modern day countries of Lebanon, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Bulgaria, and North Macedonia. He really preached the gospel to every person in that area? How could he say in verse 23, but now, now there is no more place. Oh. There is no more place for me to work in these regions. Have you ever wondered just how perplexing these statements are by Paul? I don't know about you, but it seems to me like there's always more gospel work to be done in an area. There's more evangelism, more discipleship, more transformation of society yet to be done. So what exactly is Paul saying here? That there's no more work for him to be done. Well, Paul's pointing out here in his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known the difference in the tasks between the local church and the missionary task. It's a distinction made 
by Vincent Donovan in his significant book, Christianity Rediscovered. He says, the concept of first evangelization lies at the heart of the distinction between missionary and pastoral work. There's a difference between what the church, the local church is supposed to do and the missionary task. The work of the local church never ends. There's always going to be work for Grace City Church to do here in Sydney. There's always going to be more evangelism that needs to be done, more discipleship, more transformation of society here to be done. And that's exactly why for Paul, the main task of missions was to plant churches because the churches he planted and all those cities he went to from Jerusalem to Illyricum, it was then the responsibility of those local churches to be reaching the people around them. But Paul's calling was that of a missionary, not of a pastor. As a missionary, his ambition was to strive or to exert himself out of a sense of love to get to those places where the church wasn't yet established, where people didn't know about Christ, where the gospel had not yet taken root, where people would most likely go their whole lifetime without meeting a follower of Jesus. This is why Paul is laser-focused on getting to Spain. As you look here on the, on the map, the gray is the area of the Roman Empire at that time of Paul. And Spain is at the furthest western part of the Roman Empire. So Paul took on the calling of Acts 1.8, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul realized he needed to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And their knowledge at that time, Spain was the end of the earth. Beyond Spain, there was nothing but lots of water. They didn't know about America yet at this point. Paul's ambition was to go where Christ was not yet known. And this ambition was shared by David Livingston, a Scottish missionary to Africa in the 19th century. And he wrote, In the vast plains to the north, I have sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. The task of missions is not to go where there are lost people. Why? Because there are lost people everywhere. And if there's a local church there, it's the local church's responsibility, not a missionary's responsibility. It's the responsibility of the local church to reach the lost around them. The task of missions is to go where people have no access yet to the gospel where people don't have the chance, the opportunity to hear the gospel because there's no church around them, where they will likely go their whole lifetime without ever meeting another follower of Jesus, 
where if a Bible exists in their own language, they likely don't even know that it exists or even how to get it if they know where it, it exists. Have you ever imagined what it would like, be like to go to a place like this? Well, Kathy and I can imagine because we went to a place like that. But this was the ambition of Paul to go to places like that where the church wasn't yet established. So what is your ambition? What are your ambitions in life now? Before God, do you believe that those ambitions would fall into the category of selfish ambition? Ambition that is work for the purpose of gain? Ambition that benefits you? Or do you have ambition like Paul, a desire to exert yourself out of a sense of love and honor for God, for all that he's done for you? An ambition that benefits other people, even if it means great sacrifice on your part. Well, where did Paul exactly get this missionary ambition? Why did he have a passion to not just stay in Antioch and do all of the pastoral work and evangelism that was needed in Antioch? Why did he want to go to places that didn't yet have the gospel. Well, Paul's ambition flowed from his knowledge of the scripture. And for Paul, the scriptures were the Old Testament. So let's read verses 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises of your name. Verse 9 shows us Paul's, or what the ultimate goal of missions is to be. The ultimate goal of missions is that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The ultimate goal of missions is not man-centered. The ultimate goal of missions isn't just for lost people to come to know God. The ultimate goal of missions is God-focused. It's God-centered. It's that God might receive the glory and the honor and the praise that he is worthy of, that he's worthy to receive. Now, Paul goes on to quote three scriptures from the Old Testament to show the scope of this praise and worship that God deserves. And again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise and rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. Now you see Gentiles being repeated a lot here. Gentiles, uh, the Greek word there is ethne. It's the word that we get ethnic or ethnic groups from. The contemporary term used in missions today is people groups. 
Now, these three passages from the Old Testament, Paul quotes from are Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. Now, if you know the Hebrew Bible, you'll know that he quotes from all three of the major sections of the Hebrew Bible, the law, the writings, and the prophets. Why does he do this? I think he's wanting to show that God's heart for all peoples was throughout the whole Old Testament. Did it sound strange to you at all in verse 11 when Paul said, let all the peoples extol him? A pe- peoples sounds like improper English because people's already a plural word. So you don't typically put an S onto a plural word. So what does that mean, this word peoples? God's concern is not just for people to come to know him. It's bigger than this. Scripture informs us that God's concern is not just for people or individuals. God's concern is for peoples, people groups, ethnic groups. The nations is another term used in the Bible. God's heart is for all of these people groups to know him and worship him for his mercy displayed to him, displayed to us through Christ Jesus. So this is another good activity for you to do in your individual Bible study reading this week. Do a word study on all peoples, all nations, the ends of the earth in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And you're going to see this concept of missions did not start in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission. God's heart for the nations goes throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Way back to Genesis 12 and the promise to Abraham that through him all peoples on the earth will be blessed. The mission's task in Scripture is both geographically focused, we're supposed to go to the ends of the earth, but it's also people's focused. We're supposed to take the gospel to all the peoples or all the people groups of the earth. Well, how are we doing on this task so far? It's been 2,000 years since Paul has written this. Are there any of these places where Christ is not yet known on the earth? If so, where are they? Who are these people? Well, the the good news is yes, the good news is that these people thank you. Thank you for helping me there. That's what I wanted was that map there. Uh, These unreached people groups, they live in a very narrow band of the world today. It's called the 1040 window. It goes from 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north latitude from Africa to Asia. That little triangle in the world is where 97% of all these unreached people groups live today. The bad news is that in that little triangle, that little rectangle, there are 7,400 people groups 
that still do not have access to the gospel. And they make up 40% of the world's population today. There's some more bad news. Today's missionary force, it seems, have lost the ambition that Paul had to take Christ where he was not yet known because only 3% of all the missionaries in the world go to the unreached. These 40% of the world's population that don't have access to the gospel. Well, what are you going to do? You personally, what are you going to do with all of this information? Well, it may surprise you that Paul did not expect everyone to take the same steps that he took to fulfill this passion. To go where people had not yet had a chance to hear the gospel. How do we know this? Because Paul's writing to the Romans and he doesn't tell them all, leave your jobs, sell your houses, join me, we're all going to Spain. He doesn't do that. What does he do instead? He tells them how, he, how they can join him with him in this gospel ambition because this ambition takes teamwork. It takes, it takes, a group, it takes teamwork all together to see this gospel ambition get fulfilled. In verse 24, he said, I hope to see you while passing through He's planning to go. He's in Corinth now. He's planning to go through Rome to get on to Spain. Uh, why does he want to see them on his way? So that you can assist me on my journey there. Paul needed help from other churches to fulfill his missionary task. There were needs that required financial help for him to fulfill his missionary task. We see in verses 25 and 26, Paul said, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia, the churches in those cities, in those areas, the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. There are needs around the world. Earthquakes like just happened in Afghanistan. Floods, famines, human trafficking. Needs that are huge that require financial help to adequately address them. Missionaries around the world have ministry projects that are reaching people that they're serving that need money. Local churches can partner with missionaries in these projects that are going to have an impact on the people that they're serving. But missionaries themselves also need financial support to be able to live among the unreached. We see this kind of support, this kind of teamwork with Paul in Philippians 4. Moreover, as you know, Philippians In the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, how I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. 
It takes money to take the gospel to those without access. And Paul was willing to receive help from other churches for this task. There's another way that we can join with missionaries in teamwork other than financial giving. And Paul shows us that in verse 30. It's prayer. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I pray that I may be kept, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Now, this word struggle is an interesting one because in the original language, it is the word that we get the English word agonize from. And if you've ever really entered into a serious ministry of prayer, you know that prayer can be agonizing work. So you're all going to come to your Wednesday prayer meeting, right? And join into that. You're going to agonize together in that ministry of prayer. Praying for the world, praying for missionaries is hard work. It's agonizing work. So don't leave this agonizing work just to missionaries to do. They need you joining with them in prayer. We need to pray for missionaries, for their needs, for their families, their spiritual health, their spiritual vitality, their physical health and protection. But we also need to agonize with missionaries in praying for the people that they're seeking to reach, for God to pour out his blessing upon the people group that they're serving, that there would be a great harvest for the gospel. We see Paul asking for this kind of prayer several times in the New Testament. We're going to just look at three today, but these three will help you have a kind of a model of how you can pray for the world and how you can pray for missionaries. First one is Ephesians 6. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for missionaries to have boldness in sharing the gospel. Colossians. And pray also for us also that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray for opportunities to present themselves for missionaries to share the good news. And Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. Pray for fruitfulness, that the gospel would spread among these people groups, that churches would, not just a church, but churches gets planted, churches that multiply. Now, if you want to pray for unreached people groups, there is a very simple way for you to do that. You can get a phone app called Unreached of the Day. And you can click on it every day during your prayer time, and it gives you a new unreached people group that it describes it to you and how you can pray for them. So, something we can all do. Unreached of the Day phone app. Now, Romans 15 is one of many passages that led 
John Piper to give the quote that Tim mentioned at the beginning. That when it comes to missions, there's only three kinds of people. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. Now, I know no one at Grace City Church wants to be in that latter category. So, are you going to be a zealous goer or a zealous sender? I've been praying that this three weeks of mission focus for Gray City Church, that God will use it to call one or two of you from this church to go, to leave your life here in Australia, to go to a country in the 1040 window to proclaim the gospel to an unreached people group. But I've also been praying that every single one of you here at Gray City Church will see your role to be a sender, that you'll give to missions, that you'll pray for missionaries, that you'll pray for unreached people groups. Now, John Piper didn't live in Sydney, so we have an opportunity for another category to be involved in missions here in Sydney. It's what I call a zealous welcomer. Why? Because there are large numbers of immigrants, international students, and refugees who are coming to Sydney, who are coming from these countries in the 1040 window. They're coming from countries where the gospel doesn't exist among their people groups. Now, Kathy and I, we've only lived here for 10 months, but we've already personally met people from Vietnam, China, Cambodia, India, Sri Lanka, uh, Tanzania, (laughs) Tasmania as well. We went there. Uh, Tanzania. We should pray for the Tasmanians. Uh, Nigeria. And we've met Muslims from countries such as Egypt, Bangladesh, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Turkey, and Afghanistan. God is, in his mercy, are bringing the nations here. Now, the sad thing is the vast majority of these peoples, especially those that are international students and refugees, never once get invited into the home of an Australian family and never have an Australian go to their home to visit them. But I'm confident Grace City Church is going to turn the tide on that, that you're going to be reaching out intentionally, inviting them to your home, And you're going to go and visit them. Now, while Kathy and I were living in Washington, D.C., we visited an Afghan family one Easter. And I was trying to find a way to make a bridge to the gospel. So I said, oh, you know, um, Easter's coming up. Do you know what Easter's all about? And he was like, oh, yeah, I know all about Easter. When I was in Afghanistan, I worked for the U.S. military. And every Easter, they would decorate the offices with bunnies and painted eggs and chocolates. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's one of the ways that Easter gets celebrated. But do you know what the holiday is all about? And he said, no. So I, I explained to him how Jesus died on Friday, Good Friday. He raised from the dead on Easter and that his resurrection showed his victory over death and that he had the ability, the, the power and authority 
to pay for our sins and replace them, replace our shame with honor. Now he looked at me and I couldn't tell if this was sadness or confusion. Maybe it was both. But he looked at me and said, no one has ever told me that before. Will you be reaching out to Afghans and Turks and Muslims that are coming to this area so that none of them will say that? Hudson Taylor was a well-known British missionary to China. And one day he was preaching the gospel, as he often did, uh, to a group of non-Christian Chinese. And when he finished speaking, a man named Ni stood And Ni said to the rest of the people in the room, I have long sought the truth, but without finding it. In Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism, I have found no rest. But I do find rest in what we've heard tonight. Henceforth, I am a believer in Jesus. Now, Ni became an ardent student of the Bible and a fervent witness to the lost, And one day when he was walking and talking to Hudson Taylor, he said, how long have you had the the good news in your country? And Hudson Taylor said, well, some hundreds of years. And he said, what? Hundreds of years? My father sought the truth and died without finding it. Oh, why didn't people come earlier? It was a moment in the pain of which Hudson Taylor never forgot. It deepened his desire and fueled his passion to bring Christ to those who had not yet heard. How many knees are there today in the world, in the Hindu, Buddhist, and Muslim world who are still waiting for someone to come? Someone with the ambition of Paul to share with them the good news of Jesus. So is God calling you to be a zealous goer or a zealous sender? And will you all be a zealous welcomer of the unreached people groups that God's bringing to Sydney? Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are worthy of the worship of people from all nations, from every nation, every people group, you are worthy to receive praise and honor and glory for the salvation you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for these 7,400 unreached people groups. Lord, by your mercy in our lifetime, may they have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.